All right, welcome into a our Monday episode of the Motor City Metrics podcast here at TigersMLReport.com. I'm Rohil Castillo. Alongside me is Uper and John. Chris Brown will be joining us shortly. And we're simulcasting on both our channels tonight. So we're on, there's Chris. We're on Tiger Miley Report and, of course, on the Motor City Metrics side of things. So John set that up. John playing the role of producer this evening. As I was cranking out some articles today and between that and the day job got a little ahead of me. But a lot to get to today. The Tigers were pretty busy on an off day as they signed three pitchers. We'll get to that. They also made an announcement that Austin Meadows is going to hit the 60-day IL and to make room for that, to make room for one of the signings, which we'll get to in a second. But continuous thoughts on Austin Meadows. And and I, I saw some comments on Twitter that was just kind of like, all right, we have to cut bait with this guy. Cutting bait with somebody who has mental issues is the last thing you want to do. So I don't understand the logic of that. So there's no logic to it. And they have to stick with him just because he's, he's their guy. And B, there's no urgency to cut him loose. They're going to pay him no matter what. And they must still believe in his talent. And they want to support the individual. So cutting him loose, it's amazing. The ugly side of Twitter comes out quick. If you scroll through some of the comments, some of the things said about him, brutal. And I know those are probably people with eight followers and who are trying to get a reaction, but it, it does get ugly rather quickly. The one thing I wanted to address real quick, though, on that, I still keep seeing people keep saying Tampa must have known. Okay. I don't believe that. I don't believe it was a damaged goods kind of thing. I know people say that a lot. Austin Meadows would have no need to cover that up. If Detroit wanted to ask him straight up, did Tampa know you were having some issues before this trade? Why would he say yes or no to that? He wouldn't deny it. So the idea that Tampa was pulling a fast one on Alavila, I just don't think that holds a lot of water. Yeah. yeah look, Chris. I, I, I am in, in the position where I think Austin Meadows needs to get as much help as he can. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important thing. I also think the Tigers will cut bait with him at the end of the season. I don't, I don't think that they're not going to cut him now. Like you said, there's no point. But this is, he'll be in his final year of arbitration. He'll probably be, be getting six, seven million dollars. They could always work out a deal behind the scenes. Yeah. And that may be the most likely thing that happens where they give him incentive laden contract of some sort. But I, I just from a, a pure sports and business standpoint, you can't keep a guy around if you can't believe that he's going to be there. And, and it's, it has nothing to do with not supporting him or not caring about him. You're just not going to pay a guy that much money if, if you don't think he's going to play. And, and at this point, I, I, I don't expect to see him playing this year. Maybe later, I, I was saying in our Discord chat, it feels a little bit like one of those stories, like a Daniel Bard, where maybe he just goes away for a few years and, and gets things figured out and comes back one day probably for the Braves, because it's like the hometown team, right? And he's from Georgia. I, I don't want to close the book on him entirely, but I'm just I'm preparing myself for that reality, that it's just not going to happen here in Detroit. He's going through a tough time. I do think he had issues in Tampa. I think Tampa knew about it. I think the Tigers knew about it. If, if there's, when you make a trade, you got medicals, I assume stuff like that comes up in the medical. And, and I, what I think is the Tigers probably didn't think it would be this serious and debilitating and uh, it, it has been and we, everybody feels for him but 
yeah, I, I just prepared myself for a future without Austin Meadows and the Tigers. Yeah, I don't know. I obviously feel for him. I want to hope he gets the support he needs. But I'm just, I really thought, like, with Parker Meadows being up, I really thought that was going to be able to help him to have his brother there. And I hope there is a long-term future with Austin Meadows here. I look at him as, like, a guy who could maybe be a long-term DH for us. But, yeah, unfortunate news. I hope everything works out for him. And, uh, yeah, I don't have much more to say than that. Yeah, I, there's I, just go ahead, Chris. Sorry, Roger. I just want to say, yeah, there's just there's there's no telling with anybody what can you'll see the most seemingly happy, adjusted, wealthy, all everything in the world, and and for whatever reason, it's just not there inside them, and and they can't make it work. And, and yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know what Austin Meadows needs. Hopefully, he finds out. But it's yeah, it's it's you just can't know. We can't know what's going on in somebody else's head and in their heart. Yeah. Yesterday I saw, I saw on a totally different note outside of baseball, I, I heard someone say the line, you can't succeed the pain away. And everything in his life is pretty charming. He's a professional baseball player. He's had excellent, a couple of excellent seasons in the major leagues. You would think just not knowing anything about him, yeah, his life is pretty good. But all of that success isn't enough to quash whatever is going on with him. And it, it has to be debilitating and it is painful to see. And it, it, I just thought that was the line that really made a lot of sense to me. All the success in the world doesn't always chase that stuff away. The thing in look is somebody who, who goes through, who's let's just say I've dealt with depression myself and those kind of things it is very, very, it is a struggle. It's a struggle when even when, for example, when <clears throat> without getting too deep into it, like today, for example, today is three years since my father passed away. Didn't th- I totally 100% didn't think about it until my sister sent a text message this morning reminding us. And then I was like, oh, and then just wave after wave of things. You learn, you, you, you get your coping mechanisms. I just shut down and I just started working on stuff and shut shut myself off from distractions for the day. We all have our things and we still work on them. Even and I told Chris about something that happened to me on Friday that still has me reeling that I, I'm still not understanding. And there's a lot of things I don't understand. And a lot of this is very hard, like just coping by eating, like in the, in the case of myself and, and those kind of things. And we all deal with it differently. And it just, yeah, cutting metals doesn't fill the hole that's left without them. And you're absolutely right. Dan Fernandez in the chat said that, and that's, that's a good point, Dan. And bottom line is this, his teammates care about him and mm-hmm. they want to do the best for him. Everybody does, but look, I love baseball and I want my team to win all the time, no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's the Tigers or whoever I'm rooting for, but knock, knock it off. Seriously, knock it off. If you're that really just gonna have to, you have to voice your concern and make a point to be a dick about it, about a player, then what's what's wrong with you? Seriously, everybody is not macho and handles things differently. Yeah, and and I think sometimes it's probably worse when you feel like you should be happy because you make millions of dollars playing baseball. You feel like, I should, what's wrong with me? Why can I not be happy doing this? It's even worse. Yeah, fans are going to be fans. They're, they're asses about everything. I, I saw, we, we discussed later, but Ronald Acuna had a home run today, celebrated by, by saying the pitcher was small. Then the NBA, 
15 times a game, 30, I don't know, this one. And he got hit with the first pitch of the next game, I think. It got hurt. And it's pretty high. I don't, know if, it was, I don't know if it was on purpose or not. It seems questionable. But yeah, it, and fans, there were a lot of fans saying he deserved it. People, fans just are crazy. That's what makes him a fan. Yeah, but it's, it's funny too is Gary Payton, I think of Gary Payton, who was like the, one of the masters of talking trash. They, they made it an art, but you can't. Yeah, there's the double, that just cracks me up sometimes how baseball players are like, oh, we're we're rugged athletes when they get so sensitive about things like that. But it's all ridiculous. But <clears throat> you know what, Sir Dusty, Sir Dusty, with the probably the comment of the night. Yeah, fans suck, but their opinions towards Avila are fair. And you know what? Well, I can't argue that. I can't argue that anymore. I, I, you know what? I, you look at the farm system, which we talked about yesterday a little bit. And I'm gonna get. By the way, just heads up at nine thirty, we're gonna have Brian Savatoni of the Mets. He's the host of Mets podcast as part of the Fan First Network. That we're gonna have him on talk about the Mets here at nine thirty. So just as a heads up, you can you can vent about Avila, but you can look at the farm system and the state of it right now, which is there's some athletes in there, but good lord. The pitching gets thin quick. And we talked about that yesterday on the podcast. Yeah. I, I, yeah. If, if we could stick on Avila, this was something I wanted to talk about with Spencer Torkelson because I've seen a lot of debate with him on Twitter. Now that his first month of his second season is over, his numbers look worse statistical, statistically wise than last year. Where are you guys with him right now? Oh, I was going to try to go in a different direction because I wanted to talk about the team's ISO one month. End of the season, by the way, we'll get we'll get to Torkus in a second. Somebody, Mark, DM, I haven't seen a DM from Mark in a long time. He wanted to know the ISO of the Tigers currently, and it's one eighteen. Last year, same time in April, point eight point zero eight three, and the walk rate is up. <clears throat> excuse me, the walk rate's up from eight point three to six point seven. So continue, you guys. Go on ahead and answer the Torkel question. I'll be the last. Maybe I should go first because I, I, I've been, I think, somewhat critical of Torkelson for a while now. One thing that I looked at, and I don't know, did I mention this on the last podcast? I, I don't know, but it, it has to do with Torkelson in, in high leverage situations and in key moments. I may have mentioned it on the minor league podcast, but, but Torkelson has, he's not been, he's been a below average hitter in every situation. But with runners in scoring position and runners on base and in high leverage situations, he's just been absolutely abysmal. Talking like a WRC plus of 30. And and I think that has to be mental. It could just be a small sample size, but but we're up to about a season's worth of at bats now. And I I I remember seeing it in that first uh, that first spring training he was in. You know, the year before he headed off to the minors to do his thing, and he was like one for twenty with fifteen strikeouts or whatever. You could see him really pressing, and he'd strike out and play him the bat on the ground. And I don't ever remember seeing anything like that in college. I think he just he doesn't know how to take pressure off himself. And I, I feel like his heart is probably racing a thousand miles per hour up the plate when it's a big situation. And he's making bad decisions. He's swinging. He's popping up. He's striking out. And I don't know. These guys have sports psychologists and stuff. I, I, I want somebody to just teach him to not care. I think that's a big problem with Torrelson right now, but yeah. the results obviously aren't there. This is supposed to be the cornerstone bat and it's been a year and he's not producing at anywhere close to a major league average level. So it's, it's a bummer. 
Yeah, I'm the, the where I'm troubled is even on some of the hard contact he makes, they're not deep drives. He's he's lining out to center, lining out to left field when he does. The prodigious power just not translating right now. Uh, he's got the two home runs. He hasn't really threatened for that many more. The, the the hitter I saw here in Des Moines and the one that I watched a ton of video his draft year had power to all fields and was hitting balls that were not fence scrapers by any stretch. He's not making that contact with the fast. He gets talked about ad nauseum, but it's true. A lot of relatively mediocre fastballs are getting by him. And I don't know what the solution is, but they, they need to unlock that somehow. Yeah, and there, there's the, the biggest thing that I've noticed about Torkelson too, especially putting him in the cleanup situation, is the fact that they don't, even with the isolated power numbers being improved, if you will, the biggest thing that the Tigers are still not getting in production no matter who they put it. They're still not getting that. Javier Baez still doesn't have a home run. He's yeah. still, he's, he's striking out less, which is great. He's walking more. That's, that's fantastic. So I think the, the fact the Tigers are sitting at what the record is right now with not a lot of power, I think I'm not trying to be opti- like a, too optimistic, but all things considering, it could be a lot worse. Honestly, you can go to like Chicago, look at the White Sox situation. Ugh. Luis Roberts basically on Saturday, like basically on Saturday, Rant did not run out of ball and they benched him because of lack of effort. But in reality, he did say he was having issues with his hamstring, but he only told his teammates. He even knew whose bench coach was. He didn't know who Montoya was. That was his bench coach. It makes matters even worse. Then today, Jerry Reinsdorf was out in a conference and he was out, I believe in, in, in LA for the Vilkin Institute global conference on a panel called Game Changers, the new sports of business. But some of the quotes he pulled out of there are so fascinating. And one quote, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll put the link on our Twitter, or the link to in our YouTube channel. You can ch- check it out yourself. But the one quote I wanted to pull from this, only because I just want to make fun of the White Sox, and I put that in my numbers for April for an article I did for Call of Pen, is, quote, here it is, yeah. Sports is a business of failure, but the fact that you finished second or third or fourth doesn't mean you had a bad year. I think it's important to fans is while you're, they want you to win championships, they want you to know that when they get down the last month of the season, you still have a shot. You, you are still playing meaningful games. If you could do that consistent, consistently, you'll make your fans happy. If you think you know more than your GM or your head coach, then you got the wrong GM. Sometimes you have to bite your tongue and have faith. But you can't make decisions for your baseball people. You got to let them make the decisions. So, and then this is, the line right here cracks me up. In 1981, we're getting paid $6,000 per game for White Sox games. Now rights are about $700,000 per game. We're getting away with murder with the cable bundle. It's just even with this, some of the stuff he says in there is just, just giving the finger to the fans. Like I just basically say, look, Whatever you guys thought of me, that's that's true. It's so interesting. He talks about not stepping on your GM's toes. And who was their manager last year? (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) I couldn't believe that. Yeah. 
Is this some modicum of, of retribution or, or rehabilitation for Tony La Russa, given how bad the White Sox are this year without him? I don't know. Was, hey, maybe it wasn't all Tony La Russa. Yeah. I told that thing John from the last week. Show. I said somewhere out there, Tony La Russa is nursing that fifth Manhattan the other night. And he's saying, God damn it, I told you it wasn't my fault. I'm Tony La Russa. Well, it's in a dark room, though. It's in a dark room. And he's in his, he's still, he's wearing his Oakland manager jersey because that's the, that's his favorite time of his life when he was, he was king, king, you know what? And no one could touch him because he was winning all the time. And then he calls Ricky Anderson and he's Ricky, where I go wrong? And Ricky's Ricky, I'll tell you because he speaks third person, obviously. You are, you fine, you fine, Tony. We all fine. And I, one time I had 24 steel in one game. No, just joking. I think I just picture the room being covered in cat calendars. <laughs> or just see, you know what I see somewhere? I see like just him in the Oakland jersey walking around, of course, and just empty bud cans sprewing about. But the, the Manhattans is like, that's, that's his own private room. He has all his stuff in there. He has all the stuff from his playing with his, his coaching days. Yes. And he's just like this. It's the glory days. It's all it is, is Dennis Eckersley getting the last out when they won the first World Series, when their first World Series. That's him. It's just the entire time. And somewhere he's just, he has his cats names. All his cats are named after Act, act One, Act Two, Act Three, Act Four. And he's got a Pujols in there somewhere because Pujols also helped him. Okay. <laughs> I don't um, know. Really, really yeah. weird out there, but. So, yeah, I guess the moral of the story is at least we're not the White Sox. Yes, or the Royals, for that matter. Yes, but I feel like the Tigers, considering they're 10 and 17, but Torkelson struggled, Riley Green has struggled, Michael Lorenzen and Matt Boyd, the two big free agent signings, haven't performed that well either. Obviously, the stuff with Austin Meadows. Considering all that, the fact that we're still 10 and 17 and have been fairly competitive through the first month of the season, I think is a, a bright spot and a positive you can look at. Yeah, I mean, there's you can look at Eduardo Rodriguez's performance out there. He's been very good pitching wise. Jason Foley, we've talked about this, has done a really good job. Zach McKenstry has told everybody, don't judge a book by its cover, essentially, and has proven a lot of people wrong. And he's done really well off the, in the leadoff spot. Akil Badu is holding water, so everybody shut up about sending him down already because that's another thing that's been annoying me. Why are you? Send Parker Meadows up. Parker. And they're, yeah, and, and, and Dan mentions in the chat, Dan Fernandez mentions, and they're playing good teams. They're 10 and 17 holding water against a, that was a, that's a, April was a brutal. You look at Baltimore, they're just, they're only second behind Tampa. I mean, look at Tampa. Tampa outscored Detroit and the, they outscored the White Sox in Detroit somewhere in the neighborhood of like 37 to five or something. Just, no, no, no. It was, no, no, even worse than that. It was something, something ridiculous. I think it was 40 to 5. It was just something outrageous out there. And at this lead, and you know, and, and really, I think it's problematic. VG said in there in the chat, and it's true. If it was just a league average offense, this would be a completely different team. And I think so too. I think if they had a little more power, a little more power, I think they'd be fine. And look at, and look, here's a couple positives too. And again, we're trying, we're never the, we're the super positive podcast, <laughs> but the walk numbers are up. So last year at this time, after April, they walked at a 6.7 clip. This year, they're walking at 8.3 clip. That's they good. Dominated the strike zone. Yeah. And the strike yeah. zone, the, the, dom, 
the domination of strike zone. So how many times they struck out and they struck out 24% of the time last year. So they struck out 24% in the month of April. Okay. And so that's, that's what the league average you think, or I don't know. I can't remember what the league average is right now. The, league average is probably more like 22, 23. I don't mean, it's, it's probably not far off. I think the worst teams are usually around 26 and the best are like 19. Just so, so I'm sorry, they're striking out a 24% clip this year. So last year, if we're looking at the month of April, how bad did they strike out based off the what we know about Spencer Tokelson and what have you? They struck out in April of last year. That does not seem right. It's not updating for me. No, here it is. Okay, sorry. The computer's running slow. They actually struck out at a seven at a I'm sorry, they actually walked at a higher clip last year. They walked at a nine percent clip last year. Than they did this year. Yeah. 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 So yeah. right now, the, the San Francisco Giants have the highest strikeout rate at 27.5%, and the Washington Nationals have the lowest at 18.3%. Doesn't always tell you the whole story there, does it? I don't know. I'm, I'm reminded of that that clip of the Italian cook, the Italian chef that you see sometimes on Instagram or YouTube. He says, If my grandmother had wheels, she would have been a bike. Hey, if this offense was good, we wouldn't be so bad. We said that last year. We're like, just as soon as this offense picks it up, it, Never happened. I, I I have a little more faith in the guys they put together this year, and I do take like you mentioned Zach McHenry. I take that as as a somewhat positive sign. It's a very small move, but Scott Harris and his brain trust thought they saw something there, and he's been one of the more consistent players. And that's what the Tigers need: is guys who can consistently perform. They don't they don't have to be superstars. They just need some guys who can consistently do things. Yeah, most of the lineup can't do that, unfortunately. Yeah, I think another guy that has been not as talked about as much as Matt Veerling. I think he's been pretty solid. He had a big three-hit game against Baltimore. He's just been really, really solid. One of the more consistent hitters for the Tigers. OPS, I think, is above 700, which considering this team is is one of the best on the team. And yeah, I think he's obviously going to get more play now that Meadows is going to be gone for probably the majority of the season. So I think he's been a really good pickup too. And that's the other thing too with Nick Maton and Matt Vierling. They're both so young still. They're both just 26 years old. I'm not saying they're, I have a lot more room to grow, but they're still young. They still haven't really hit the primes of their careers yet. And they're going to be here for a long time to come. So I, I like the Scott Harris moves, obviously McKintree we talked about, but even Maton, Maton's been really inconsistent. Did have a double against Baltimore. But him and Veerling, I think, have been two bright spots, even though Maton has struggled with his strikeouts a little bit. I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade or pee in somebody's cereal, if you will, for all Matt Verling. And you, his outfield jump, his defense is he's in the 95% in, in terms of outfield defense. He's done a great job, and I'm not disputing that whatsoever. He's making better hard hit contact than he did, or he's it's actually just a little bit under, but the strikeouts you'd like to see. But he has to work on, he can crush fastballs all day long, but the steady stream of breaking balls and off speed, he's got to do better, better with before, in order for him to become a regular everyday player. I think Veerling is somewhat reminiscent of, of Parker Meadows to me in, in terms of a very tooled up guy who isn't necessarily the most instinctual on the base path. He's already been thrown out like four times, I think, Yeah, but he's got plenty of speed. He's got raw power and he's got an arm and all, all that good stuff. And so I think that gives him a pretty high floor, if you will. Like it's a fourth outfielder floor. And on a championship level team, you can, you can help you out. Is that what the Tigers need right now? They need anybody who can do anything, really. And, and so he's a better upgrade over most. But 
I don't think people should be waiting for some sort of big breakout from either you or Maton. I, I think they're both solid big leaguers, but they're complementary pieces too. And, and it's, it's, it's a whole team right now. They're still waiting for somebody to break out and carry the load. And it's just tough because you've got, nobody can quite do it yet. Maybe it's because it's too cold. Yeah. For a team, the team that's batting 223, I mean, they have the the leagues, I believe they have the outside of, you know, what's funny is the Dodgers, by the way, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers, ladies and gentlemen, have the second worst batting average in the league. But they have their war, their, they have a war of 4.2. So well, batting average, you could throw out the window with them, but yeah, yeah. Max has what eleven home runs and yeah. bats yeah. is hitting for power and playing yeah. shortstop at second base Out, and Outman. James Outman looks like yeah. still a front runner for a rookie of the year in the National League, which is kind of wild. And I got eleven percent walk rate too. That helps. I I told the story in our DMs. I don't know if I told it on on air. Did I about James Outman? We saw James Outman in Midland a couple years ago when we went up to watch the Whitecaps play the Loons, and there was uh, we met some nice people around us. Kindly old gentleman was talking about his favorite player on the team, and it was he was Outman. And I was looking at him like, okay, you're like a seventh rounder from Sacramento State or whatever, 23, playing against a bunch of youngsters. I didn't. I was like, yeah, I, I, I told the guy, I'm like, yeah, you never know, he might make the big leagues one day. Not believing it, one percent. I'm like, this guy is going to be out of baseball in a year, and here he is, looking awesome in the big leagues. So it's just a real reminder that I don't know anything. So one right now it's a one month heater too. So we'll see. Yeah. See what month two brings for him. Yeah. I don't know. He does have a tendency to catch up with people. Is it gonna be a Chris Shelton situation or not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but more often than not, it is. But like you said, he's walking, he's hitting for power, he's playing solid outfield. Could it be a Matt Joyce situation? Matt Joyce right. came up and had a heater too, and then carried that into being a, a pretty outstanding platoon player for the rest of his career. Like well, 14 years, something like that. Yeah. I don't know how he we made it this far without talking about Zach Short, who is a really fun story over the weekend. I know you, Per, that's your guy. I was having fun with him, hoping he'd make the opening day roster just because it was going to piss off so many people if he did. I'm um, going roster. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, he wasn't really hitting down in Toledo when they brought him up anyway. But it just shows you what the sport is. You just need one day where things go your way. He obviously was seeing the ball really well in the first game of that doubleheader the other day, and he got stuff done, and it earned him another play, a little bit more playing time. It won't last. We know who he is. We've seen him before. It's unlikely he's taken any major steps forward, but it's a fun story. I, I root for those kind of guys just to keep hanging on and, and doing good things when they get their opportunity, and I will continue to do that until they have to have a team that can compete. That old man saw a kid's hot girlfriend and knew he had confidence. What? That's a money ball, right? That's right. Yeah, I was laughing at him like, played, played. Yeah, but selling what, jeans here, boys. What did you guys make of Tyler Nevin giving sent down to? Because I saw his three run home run, and it was an absolute blast. And then then he gets sent down right after he hit that. Wasn't that his last at bat? Yeah, too little, too late. Unfortunately for him, I'm, it's unfortunate. You need more than yeah. one highlight every ten days, probably. Yeah, and, and I think. <laughs> With Carpenter going down, I think they viewed Short as a probably a better outfield defender if they if like an emergency situation. Because Nevin, I think, has played some corner outfield, but Short is a better athlete by far. He can play the middle infield he, and he walks more. And, and Nevin, I felt a little bit bad for him because it seemed like he just every time he gets to the big leagues, it's he hits like a buck 
buck 10 and it's, oh, that sucks, but uh, maybe that's just who his true talent is. And, and uh, you got to produce at some point you got to produce. And that's it. Everybody on the team. That's science for everybody on the team. And speaking of who's been producing and he's also a writer and he also does a lot of things. And I'm, I'm trying to find ways to make this a smoother segue. We're joined now by Brian, who is the first and foremost, the leader of the fan co-leader, co-owner, co-runner, Brian. I'm, I'm sorry for lack of adjectives here. Sure. Of the Fan First Network, which was we're, we're proud of. Being, and I was waiting to do a formal announcement with you on here. And we're going to do something on Twitter on that. But welcome aboard, Brian. He knows all Thank things you. Mets. And, of course, he has this, I was going to say, awesome green screen there, city field there. And also has the Weezer shirt. So you're the first person I've seen with a Weezer shirt that's not Weezer green, the Weezer green album shirt. I always see the people that album for some strange reason. This is actually related to City Field. I was supposed to go two summers ago. There was a Weezer and Green Day concert at City Field. And friends had bought me a ticket. It wound up being my wife's birthday. And she said, I'm not spending my birthday at a Weezer concert, which I totally <laughs> understand. So friends of mine bought me the shirt at that concert as a, oh, sorry, you couldn't make the show. Yes, that is, that is, the, exa- that is the reason for the Weezer shirt. But it is a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. And the Mets come into town starting starting tomorrow as the Max Scherzer Justin Verlander reunion special kicks off on Wednesday. I believe it's Verlander first or Max first, and then Verlander on Thursday. I believe it is. And so, correct. And for the Mets, yeah. and for the Mets right now, the I, we just saw Syracuse, and the reason why I mentioned them is because you have Mark Ventos, you have a, a just a plethora of infield prospects are doing very well. With all the things considering what's going on in baseball and the Mets start, talk about where it has really, in terms of like this, how the Mets are playing and, and how being 16 and 13 in a very, I think it's, I mean, I think the NL East is a very, to me, one of the toughest divisions out there. Without their, their aces in there, how do you think the Met, how do you think the Mets have been able to overcome? What players have helped them stay over 500? The short answer is the bullpen has been really solid, even without Edwin Diaz. It's, it's, it's unimaginable that the Mets bullpen has been this good when their, their closer, the best closer in baseball, arguably last year, is out for the whole season. But they did a lot of work in the a fair amount of relievers that I feel like previous ownership would not have even considered. Like They, they brought in legitimately three setup guys in Adam Adovino, David Robertson, and Brooks Raley. And so loser goes down and you have three setup guys, it's easy enough to find ways for those guys to get innings and to get meaningful innings played. And you're not throwing out there somebody who is not ready for that position. Both Robertson and Ottavino have closed in the past. And so it's been very effective. They also, just the last couple of years, they've been really very good at signing these guys who are probably, the, I think the old-fashioned term is a quad-A player, right? A guy who is maybe not quite major league talent, but not quite minor league talent. People like Tommy Hunter, who's a veteran, who's had ups and downs. There's a couple of younger players in similar situations. And they've just stockpiled these arms. And because of that, even though their starters are averaging, I think it's five and a third innings this season, so they're not going deep in the games, they haven't blown out the bullpen because just this plethora of arms that are doing about as good as I think we could have hoped going into the season. And so the bullpen has kept them in the game. There was a point in the last, the last 10 days where one of their starters, one of the five, was the projected starter for, for the start of the season. <laughs> they lost Verlander to injury early on. 
Scherzer was suspended. Jose Quintana is out until July. Carlos Carrasco is also on the IL right now. So the Mets are there basically six through nine pitchers on their chart. And the fact that they're still in second place, still winning record through that is, is relatively incredible. Of course, the last 10 days or so, a lot of the offense has sputtered. Both Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso have been struggling the last week or so. But today, both broke out a little bit. Especially Alonso, he had a big three-run homer in game one of the doubleheader, which they lost. But they lost because they're, it was a bullpen game, and the first pitcher gave up five runs in the top of the first. Or rather, I guess... They went one inning plus, so top of the first and a little bit of the top of the second. But uh, but overall, the team has been has been consistent. The team has been avoiding a big losing streak. I mean, they've, they've lost. They've now had three different stretches where they lost at least three games. But we've all been fans of bad teams. I'm talking to Tigers fans here, so I know you guys understand. <laughs> you you understand my plight as a Mets fan. There are definitely those teams that have lost eight, nine, ten in a row. To keep the losing streaks to a minimum, to keep the game going, even when the starter's not going deep. It's been really encouraging so far as a Mets fan. I think once these starters come back, we have the potential to be a pretty dangerous team in the East. I think so. Too. Oh, you, you want to say something? I'm sorry. I, was, I just wanted to throw in a question about Francisco Alvarez. Brought up mm-hmm. the first maybe week to 10 days, Showalter gave him sporadic playing time. Now he's played a little bit more. I, I see he's got hits in five of his last six. He had two hits today. What are you seeing from him? How do you think he's going to work with the uh, the veteran pitchers like Scherzer and well, Verlander? Th- that's the big question. I think one of the reasons Perez has looked better over his last handful of games is he's been catching guys he caught in AAA. And so there is a familiarity in that battery there. You feel like maybe... He isn't so worried about every part of the game because he's more comfortable with those guys throwing to him. So that's going to be tricky when the veterans come back. But what I've been seeing from Alvarez, look, his raw power is off the charts. His hit yep. tool is pretty developed for it, it, when he was playing in, in AA. And he didn't play much in AAA, really. He, last year, he played AAA a little bit and struggled. He's young. He's 21 years old. So he's he's a young player. I think once he gets more reps under his belt, he's going to be a relatively... Not relatively. He's going to be a very effective offensive piece for the Mets. And the knock on him for years has been he's not really a catcher. And I have to be honest, I'm not a scout, but I haven't seen that. I have seen him looking far better behind the dish than people were giving him credit for a year or two ago. He's still overmatched by big league pitching. He he had a couple of hits today, which is very nice to see. He drove in the that made the Mets win their nightcap tonight, the doubleheader they played. And he, he is, he's a work in progress. But again, he's 21 years old. It was yeah, very frustrating to see Showalter. So go ahead. No, I, you're, I think you're, you're going right where I was going to ask. Do you, oh. When do you, do you think Showalter is the kind of manager who will give a rookie the reins this year at some point? I think he will. I, I think the front office is going to put the, put the pressure to Showalter a little bit to do that. But I, I think that just seeing how he's played more the last 10 days or so and if his bat starts heating up, there's no way they can keep him out. Tomas Nito, who is the Mets other catcher, one of the best defensive catchers in baseball the last couple of seasons by almost every metric, but the dude couldn't hit his weight if you gave him a million dollars for every hit he collected. He's just, <laughs> he's not an offensive baseball player. And that's, look, he can do things that I could never do. I'm not judging the man. But when you, we're talking about the bottom of the Mets lineups, 
if it's Francisco Alvarez who has legit home run power or Tomas Nito who's batting I think 111 as of today I know who I'm going with so you're saying he can't hit water when he falls out of a boat exactly yes okay I, I look at somebody like the reason why it's comes to mind too is like Brad Batty has it's been nine for 22 over the last week and the Mets still have a couple more infield prospects down in Syracuse and, and double a and it's just it's an embarrassment of riches what in terms, where do you think the Mets are going to, in terms of going to use one of these young players to eventually get some more pitching down the line if the if they're going to stay competitive in the NL East? I I think I think they are. Mark Vientos I think is the real deal. Um, I don't know where he plays for this Mets team right now. There was talk of trying to get him some outfield reps, but let's look at the reality. Pete Alonso, one of the best power-hitting first basemen in baseball. He's not playing first base for the Mets. Brett Beatty came up and is hitting the cover off the ball. He's not playing third base for the Mets. They just signed Jeff McNeil to an extension. He's not playing second base for the Mets. He's not a shortstop. And even if he was, they have Francisco Lindor for the next nine years playing shortstop for the Mets. And you don't want a DH young player. To me, if the guy has some has some legitimate infield skills, which it, by all scouts metrics that I've read, people seem to think he can definitely stick at third base or at least someplace in the infield. I don't want to DH that guy at, at in his early 20s. So I think that that's a, that's a guy you maybe trade for some. The Mets have a very, very old starting pitching staff. Verlander is 40. Scherzer is 39. Carrasco is in his mid-30s. Kodai Senga is the youngest member of the team, and I think he's 34 of their, of their proposed starting five. Now, they have some younger players right now in there, but that is not. Down the road, things might get rough. And I, I've been praising the bullpen. At a certain point, the bullpen's going to falter. And so... Maybe you can trade a Vientos for a, an arm later this season, or maybe you hold on to him. If, the, if things look good, maybe hold on to him and you try to make a blockbuster move in the offseason. But I, 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 don't, I don't think that, to me, there's a reason that Beatty was called up first, and Beatty's swing is just really, really sweet from the left-hand side. He had a bullet of a home run in the first game today, and just one of the Mets uh, is that they have the great Keith Hernandez in the broadcast booth. Keith Hernandez knows a thing or two about a good left-handed swing, and Keith Hernandez loves Beatty's swing. So I'm, I am, I'm always excited when when Keith is excited about a player. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so it was yeah. There was definitely that idea that I, I think I, I wrote that wrote this. When did I write that, Chris? About getting either Beatty or the trade idea. I can't, can't remember off the top of my head when I wrote that. Or, uh, it was one of. The, I think you wrote that early. It was early in Woodward, I think, when you were working with Woodward. I don't remember exactly what uh, that was. Oh, but. yeah, and that's right, because, yeah, when the, the, the site switched over, lost but, upon. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. One thing I, I want to, you know, Brian, you mentioned the trading, a possible trade. So we did get one question from our, our regular distributor, Deadly Ninja Bees, who was asking if the Mets need a left-handed starting pitcher. And the heavy implication there was the Tigers have Eduardo Rodriguez probably on an expiring contract. And would the Mets be interested? I don't know if they're going to. I feel if you had asked me five years ago, I would have had a really good sense for what teams valued at the trade deadline, for what a player was worth. The last three or four seasons have been so unusual in terms of what trades look like in the in season. And so I don't know if a top five prospect in your system gets you a guy whose contract isn't expiring. But it used to be that maybe you could get somebody who has a year and a half of, of team control left for a top five prospect. I don't know if that's the case anymore. And so I, I really couldn't tell you. I, 
I would like another left-handed starting pitcher. Like that would be a nice <laughs> thing. Um, but but I just I don't know. Do you guys have a better sense for that of sort of what what teams are looking for to trade right now? I I, I feel like I'm lost in this conversation. No, it, I I think if I look at the in terms of the NL in terms of just the National League itself, I think like for example, I think St. Louis would be desperate enough to do that. I think St. Louis is a team that is off to a bad start and they have some really good infield prospects in addition to a couple outfielders and they're already just happy the manager and Tyler O'Neill's been not getting along and so, allegedly so that that's one team I consider them and, and as far as the Mets go I'm just the reason why I consider the Mets is because I know that they're gonna do everything they can to win and and especially in that division. John what were we gonna say yeah follow up with that but yeah, that's what I was just going to ask in terms of like expectations. Obviously, the Mets have spent a lot of money. They made the playoff last year, I believe, won 100 games, couldn't make it out of the first round. Is it World Series or bust for the Mets this year? What is like the expectation for Mets fans? I, 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 have, to, I have to coach this in a little bit of personal history here. So I, <laughs> I, I, I am 40 years old. I have watched more bad Mets teams than good Mets teams. Except for hey, the Young, Anthony Young, yeah. Except for the last season, all most of my Mets memories are them being owned by the Wilpons, who were terrible, terrible owners. And baseball has a lot of do, but the Wilpons were among the worst. And they signed one aging player, and it's the, a huge offseason. We were happy with this great. We're signing one player, and that, that's the offseason. That was it. And then Steve Cohen comes in. Steve Cohen's a billionaire who grew up a Mets fan and who has decided that he is going to personally make it his mission for the Mets to not just win a World Series, but to be the Dodgers East is the phrase he keeps using. And so to be this sustainable long-term club that will make the playoffs year after year. And so I think in a way, like the Yankees in the 90s, every year is World Series or bust for Steve Cohen, but I think that he has an eye to eventually let that smooth out like the, the Mets farm system was a mess when Cohen bought the team the front office had reportedly the second smallest analytics staff in baseball when he bought the team there was just chaos all around the organization and so I think that until he can build an organization and I say he built it like he's the GM I don't mean that but until his vision for a sustainable franchise that has um you know equal parts, player development, analytics, develop a team, he's going to go all in every season for the next couple of years. And he has, I don't think he's said it publicly because he probably can't say it publicly, but all the rumors is they're going all in on Otani this offseason. Like they, they want Shohei Otani on the Mets. <laughs> they also want Juan Soto on the Mets. And you probably can't get both, but you don't have too many billionaires who are willing to spend the way Cohen's going to spend. I think that what the Mets need to do in terms of their World Series ambitions is I think that they are still very much in this we have to buy older players who are proven successes right now. Wow. And I think that's going to be the thing for the next year or two. But hopefully they have a young core tied up now. Hopefully that young core becomes the frontline players a year or two from now. So basically, you're saying Steve Cohen is a billionaire who's not afraid to act like a billionaire. Yes, because unlike, sometimes I think in Detroit, I realize that the level of billionaires, Mike Krasilich is basically worth Steve Cohen's couch money. Okay, I get that. But he's still a billionaire. Sometimes he doesn't quite act like a billionaire 
to my point of view. But definitely Steve Cohen is not afraid of being one, it sounds like what you're saying. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. I, grew, I, I live in New Jersey. I grew up outside of New York City. And so George Steinbrenner was the enemy during the 90s. All looked at him as an outlier, this, this bully with all this money who was willing to buy championships. And people really looked down on that. And I was one of those guys. I, I was vehemently anti-Steinbrenner when I was younger. <laughs> but looking at baseball now, when you see the amount of money that every team has, mm-hmm. when you see the revenue sharing that makes bad teams bring in tens of millions of dollars a year, and that money not make its way to the field. Mm. It's very frustrating as a fan to see that. And so there have been a lot of articles written about how Steve Cohen is the problem in baseball. But I think I've seen more articles saying that Steve Cohen is the answer in baseball, that if you're going to have a billionaire owner, this is what you want a billionaire owner to do. Look, it didn't work out. But they also, don't forget, almost had a superstar third baseman join this team in Carlos Correa. He was willing to go so far over the luxury threshold in the in the name of winning. And I don't see how, as a fan, you can really get down on that. And there's no question that the world of baseball is better off with a, a competitive, functioning New York Mets in that market rather than a stumblebum Wilpon organization who was barely keeping things afloat. That was an embarrassment for the league, really. Absolutely. And not only that, the Mets never lost money. That's the, that's the thing that no one wants to talk about, is that these owners are crying poverty. When was the last time a major league franchise actually went in the red? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe Louis Browns? Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe the Brooklyn Dodgers? This is neither here nor there, but I was, you talked about seeing a lot of bad baseball, and I was in my head, I was mining for shared misery between Tigers and Mets fans, and I, I immediately zeroed in at 2006. In the hated Cardinals, uh, because I remember you've got you've got Indy Chavez, probably the greatest catch that never was. I guess like it was an amazing catch, but ended up not ultimately mattering. It kind of reminds me of Rajay Davis's home run in the World Series a couple of years ago for the for the it's the then Indians was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I said, there was neither here nor there. I was just trying to think. Oh man, two thousand six. It could have been. It could have been the Tigers Mets. Could have been could've fun. Been. And instead, it was the stupid Cardinals and their like eighty-three win team with Jeff Weaver shutting down the Tigers. Well, who's the other? Who's that? Who's that stupid lefty too? That uh, Anthony, Anthony Reyes. Yeah, Anthony Reyes. Well, yeah, yeah. So I know people don't know this, but I'm actually I used to be a pretty big Mets fan. Like the 2015 Mets oh. were one of my were one of my favorite teams. And I want to get your thoughts on on that team because obviously they had. Look, you, John. That's for you. Well, uh, so I was, a little backstory. Growing up, yeah, yeah. So the Tigers, when I was younger, the Tigers were always in the playoffs. But once they didn't make the playoffs, I found a new team to root for. And since I love starting pitching, I I rooted for the Mets in 2015 because I love Matt Harvey, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob Degrom, Stephen Matz. Talk about that core that they had and what went wrong there because it, it did go sour pretty quick. Out now, all five of those guys, if you include Zach Wheeler aren't there anymore because we thought that was going to be the future of the Mets. What's funny too, Ruby, before you answer that, Brian, it's the third Mets starting five rotation. I think of, because I think of the ones in the nineties too. the, the, the infamous generation K Yeah, generation K <laughs> generation yeah. K was my introduction to a super rotation outside of the white Sox one. They had Jack McDowell, Alex Fernandez, mm-hmm. Jason Beret was another one that comes to mind. So you, you and I are about you're the same age. So you totally understand this. And then even in the eighties, Sid Fernandez, 
Dwight Gooden, Roger McDowell, who I actually know more from MTV Jock Jams than I do eventually <laughs> him as the Mets pitcher. Darling. But uh, Ron Darling. Mm-hmm. Got, but anyways, I just wanted to throw those Mets out because I yeah yeah it's a swell of riches for you guys over there. The, the Mets are a franchise that has historically been a forward franchise. Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, Nolan Ryan on the '69 staff. You don't get much better of a top three than and that historically. George Stone, don't leave out George Stone. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so 2015, that was my first year writing about the Mets, actually. And so what a year to break into writing about the Mets. Just an incredible season. I think what happened there, a couple of things happened. First of all, Bobby Ojeda. Yep, got to throw some Bobby O love there. Thank you. I, I think two things happened. I think. Well, first of all, let's just let's back up and talk about how improbable each of those guys were. Zach Wheeler came over in a trade for Cy Young Award winner Ari, Ari Dickey. The only Mets jersey I still own is an Ari Dickey jersey. Fun fact. But uh, he, he won the Cy Young. He was, I love Ari Dickey. I love a knuckleballer. Wait, wasn't Syndergaard acquired? In, I, mean, I, mean, yeah, I meant yeah. Syndergaard. I'm sorry. Yeah. Syndergaard was acquired in that trade, along with Travis Darno, who's still catching today. That was an amazing trade for the Mets. And that was a trade. It's, it's a ballsy move to trade the reigning Cy Young Award winner, but the Mets did it, and they got Syndergaard out of it. Zach Wheeler was traded for an aging Carlos Beltran, who wound up playing for another six, seven years for the Giants, a Giants team who didn't make the playoffs, by the way, after trading for him. Jacob deGrom was a, a nothing prospect. Literally, the, the, the people who I know who write about Mets prospects thought deGrom was a three at best, like a, a, a number three starter at best. And deGrom was, was arguably the best pitcher of, for a half decade in baseball. And then Harvey was the one that was always supposed to be the, the, the superstar. And we're actually, I still write for Amazing Avenue, which is the SB Nation New York Mets site. We have a series called The Dark Knight Rises this year, where we are going back and looking at every Matt Harvey start from 2013, because that was the magical Matt Harvey year. And Harvey was Harvey was Doc Gooden for a younger generation. He was Tom Seaver for a younger generation. He was he was going to be the guy. And he, like a couple other pitchers, had problems and had thoracic outlet surgery. And no one's ever the same after that. If you have that surgery, your shoulder's shot forever, essentially. And so that, that took Harvey off the table. Syndergaard is still pitching. He's not dominant anymore, but he's still making his living pitching. Jacob DeGrom was... DeGrom's benefit and his curse is that he was an older... He was an older rookie. He, he was a shortstop in college. He's a converted shortstop. So his arm did not have the mileage on it that a lot of other arms did. But he also didn't have the bounce back of a 23-year-old when he would get hurt. And so, unfortunately, it's just it was t- it was time and injuries like so many other teams that broke up that rotation. But I will say, the other part of it is that again, under the, the wonderful Wilpon, there not a lot of work done to not just to retain those players, but to be help to help those adjust to life as professional baseball players. Matt Harvey. I really feel for that guy because he he came about and the Mets wanted him to be a superstar. And whenever he acted like a superstar, they would go to the press and they would trash him for it. He would show up at Rangers, New York Rangers games with a supermodel on his arm and people would <laughs> say, how dare he go out to go to a game? Like, if you want the guy to be a superstar, you have to embrace, let him embrace that superstar life a little bit. They, they wouldn't do yeah. that. Grom has spoken openly about how the Mets tried to push him back early from injury. I just think that the way the Wilpons ran that team, they ran it almost like, like thugs, like a mafia thugs, where they would put pressure on you and they, they wouldn't really take care of their players. 
again, I, I sound like I'm a PR person for Steve Cohen, and I don't mean it. But when Edwin Diaz blew out this year during the World Baseball Classic, Steve Cohen hired a trainer, a chef, and a one other, I forget what the third one was, to basically live with Diaz for the rest of the year to get him ready to come back. Cohen wow. is putting his money where his mouth is and treating his players like, like gold. And if the Wilpons had done that for Matt Harvey, then when Matt Harvey went to Anaheim, maybe he wouldn't have gotten involved in some of the drugs that he was involved with there. And that's not, I'm not judging Harvey for that. I make mistakes. I'm, I'm not that guy. But the Mets did nothing to, to prevent from happening. If they had taken care of DeGrom and fostered a better relationship with him, maybe he wouldn't have left for the, for the Rangers this season. When he was a free agent, never heard from the Mets. They didn't call him. Wow. That's not a way to run. Even if you want to move on from a guy, if somebody gives you the best years of their career, you owe them a conversation. Thank them. Yeah. So I really, I blame the Wolpons for, for messing that up. And this is not, you got to realize. So I was born in 1982, 86, Mets won the World Series. They were supposed to be a dynasty because they had a ton of young, cheap talent. Yeah. They made the World Series in 2000 and then had a five year gap from competitive baseball. They made the World Series, they made the LCS into the and did not make the playoffs again until 2015. They went to the World Series 2015, went into the, as a wild team the next year and lost in the wildcard game. The Mets have not had a sustained run of success. Multiple playoffs. Terry Collins is the only manager in Mets history to bring his team to the playoffs. I'm sorry, only the second manager in history to bring his team to the Warriors in a row. That's it. And so the 2015 Mets, unfortunately, are just, that's just kind of how the Mets have done things for, the, for, most, of, for most of the franchise's history. Their greatness burns very bright, but doesn't last very long. That Mets, that 87 Mets team won 92 games. And so they, obviously this is the era before the wild card. But wonder, that was a team that just, to me, I mean, you still had you had Howard Johnson come out of his own former Tiger. One of those t- trades, one mm-hmm. of those trades, I still think about that. Spark Anderson did not. Sparky Anderson did not like young players at all. He's just like get rid of them. And he goes to the New York and and they need a third baseman. Ironically enough, for the rest of the decade and it's, until Travis Fryman came along. Anyway, like go on about that. But it's a team that featured what's it seems unheard of now in Johnson and Daryl Strawberry hitting home runs. Hitting over 30 home runs. Kevin Reynolds almost did hit that year too. But it's do you think in, in for the Will Ponds, just I'm not trying to bash screw it. I am bashing the Will Ponds. Why not? With those teams like that, that 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 case of the 87 team, the late 80s teams, that was just a team that's partied out at that point. Right? My scary Carter, who never partied. Yeah, that, that that's part of it. I think also Kevin McReynolds mentioned who had a very good career as a Met. He was traded. They, he got. They got him. Meeting Kevin Mitchell, who was a mm-hmm. a young budding superstar, but the Wilpons and and Nelson Doubleday with them at that point. Re- reportedly, they thought he was a bit of a. I think they were afraid that he was going to be a little troll in the way that Daryl Strawberry was hard to control. Just wanted to get rid of him, and so Kevin Mitchell was a huge part of the '86 team. He was well loved by his. They traded for Kevin McReynolds, who never really fit in as a Met. Ray Knight, who was the MVP of the World Series for the Mets, who scored the winning run in the 86 game when the ball got by Buckner. 
he was he wanted a very reasonable contract to come back in 87 and the Mets wouldn't give it to him. And I think sometimes the the Wilpon teams wanted or the Wilpon organization the folks they could control. And sometimes you can't control chemistry. And I think that if they had kept Kevin Mitchell, if they had signed Ray Knight, and again, like we don't we know much more about addiction now, but you had Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden, both of them had substance abuse problems at that time. And those were not handled with the grace that you'd hope to be handled with today. Although, look, I heard a lot of folks talk bad about Josh Hamilton when he was going through his struggles last decade. People exactly a super to substance abuse, but it's certainly better now than it was. And so I, the, 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 to me, the failure of those Mets organizations were the insistence on controllability versus chemistry. Yeah, there, no, and that's definitely the case with, if you look at the way that Frank Cashin ran his team like that, it was basically coming over from Baltimore, where Baltimore had that kind of, he was an architect of those early 70s Baltimore teams that had a nucleus that was always together. So it makes sense how like, it carried over with the Mets, too. One, oh, you know, we forgot to ask our first-time guests our question. This, we always ask our first-time sure. guest this question, which is, Chris, take it away. This Go ahead. I can't hear you, Chris. You muted yourself. There you, there you go. go. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We, we always ask, what's your earliest baseball memory? I don't know if this, I'll give you two. I don't know if this is false or not, or if this is real, but my dad, my dad and my uncle had tickets. They were offered either nosebleed seats for game six in 1986 or 10 rows behind the dugout for game seven. And they rolled the dice on going to Game Seven of the World Series, and they went to bed thinking they messed up. Mm. <laughs> wow! Wow! But they didn't want to. And so my dad was ten rows behind home plate for Game Seven of the World Series. So I don't know if I actually. I know my mom and I watched it on TV while he was there, but I was four. I don't know if that memory is real. If I've invented that, my first real memory. Is I remember my dad was a, a huge baseball. Back in the '80s, for our for the younger folks watching this, there were a lot more day game '80s, and they would be rebroadcast at night. And so my dad would come home from work, and we'd have dinner, and then he'd put on the Mets game, and he would say to me, "Brian, I bet you a dollar this guy's gonna hit a home run." And I'd say, <laughs> "There's no way." And then he do the game. The game played like five hours earlier and he would never actually take my money but he would he would bet with me on on Mets and Yankees games when I was a kid so that's that that's my my first sort of like general baseball memory that I know is not an inventive memory but I I did go to a game in 1988 or now eight or nine six or seven with the Cub Scout troop I was in and I that was the first time I realized how fast a fastball was we were sitting in the upper deck and we were sitting right behind home plate and when you're a kid, you're watching on TV, a fastball looks fast, but not whatever. But watching it in person, I remember being blown away by people hit that. They hit that. I, I couldn't believe it. So that's, yeah, those those just early. That's awesome. Yeah, especially with your, with one with your, with your dad. Just, your dad was the original Biff Tannen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It, you talked about this. The, I grew up. I remember very vaguely the Tigers 1984 World Series, but I became a baseball fan just through collecting baseball cards. And Daryl Strawberry was my favorite player for many years because 
I've always loved power and speed. And his last name was Strawberry. What, what are you going to do for a kid? And so I was a Mets fan for the first three, like from the age of eight to 10. And then Strawberry went to LA. So I became a Dodgers fan briefly. And that did not end well at all. And that kind of taught me not to you know, have favorite players anymore. Yeah. Somebody mentioned Lane <laughs> so Dextro. Interestingly. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. No, I was just, no, no. I was just going to make a random, any Dextro reference. I just heard him on a podcast. I could barely understand him. So that was just, that's all I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Now, what I was going to say is for for people who are younger than 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 I am, and I guess than than we are in a, collectively here, the Yankees are the team of New York, and the Yankees become the team of America at a certain point. After nine eleven, they were in the World Series. Everyone knew the Yankees, but for folks of my age, when we were little kids, the Mets were the New York team. Doc Gooden was a phenomenon. You look, at, you, you want to be impressed one day? Look up Doc Gooden nineteen eighty five. Look up the stats from that oh, year. Yeah. It will blow your mind. It will blow your mind how good he was that year. On top of that, you have Strawberry. You have Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez. Like these guys, they had a team. They had an all-star team on the in one place, and they had swagger and they were fun. And New York loved them. And so I meet so many people who are around my age who said I was the biggest Mets fan when I was five years old. That's a that's a very common thing that I've heard because that era was just so much fun. I always think of his minor league stats too, because in 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 A ball at Lynchburg, 191 innings, 300 strikeouts. As a prospect, I ourselves looking at for a moment. First and foremost, the the highest pitcher the Tigers had last year, I think, it was Reese Olsen through 150 innings, or I think it was something like that. That effect, you don't see that anymore. If to go out there and throw 191 innings as in a minor leagues, just just throw them out there every five days or every four days. And they used to probably have four day or four man rotations at that point. That to me, the fact his arm was still like rubber when he came up. Cause then, then the, probably the first year in 84 and 19 years old, throwing 218 innings. Unheard of, unheard of. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah baseball has changed. Although I, I think, I think we're going to see the pitcher, the last pitcher to ever throw 250 innings in a season this week. I believe Verlander was the last one to do it. And, uh, and we're going to see him, what, Thursday? Yeah. yeah. He may be the yeah, last the last game winner, too. Yeah, he's going to, I think that's his remaining goal, right? He just wants to do that. I'm sure he wants to win more, yeah. but knowing him, yeah. Tigers fans have been wanting him back for about 10 years now. We're sure eight years since he left. <laughs> yeah. and I don't know. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, unfortunately. We're still hanging on. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question, okay? The Central is an interesting division this year. I I I think that the Twins way to are put it. probably. <laughs> oh, no. I think that, it seems to me like the Twins are probably playing better than they actually are at the moment, and I think the Guardians have a lot of talent there. But to me, the Tigers have. I don't know. There are certain teams that just seem to me like they have the. I don't want to call it alchemy because that, that's putting too much like mysticism on. I don't mean to do that. It just seems like they have a combination of players that if everything works out for them, they could, I see them as a pretty interesting team this year, a team that could definitely do some damage. Is that an outsider's optimistic view? Or do you feel like this team has the talent to do something special this year? That is definitely an outsider's view from <laughs> yeah. I, I will say this for the record right now. 
I expect the way, especially the way the first week and a half went, it was doom and gloom. Tiger fans were jumping off bridges and what have you on Twitter. But there is a certain no quit with this team that did not see last year. Last year, this team, when they got behind, it was pretty much it was a foregone conclusion. But with with even with the guys like Zach McKenstry, who again, looking at his numbers, you weren't expecting to get what they got. There's certain mysticism, if you will. I, I think you're trying to say, and I think there's like a, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think next year they'll be better. This year, I still think, offensively speaking, if they bats warm up, I think they're going to warm up a little bit more here in, in the month of May when it gets a little warm because Lord knows out here in Michigan, it's been 71 degrees and then 46 a week later. So I'm sure they're, they're, they're over it. So on that, on that regard. Here's why I think that, okay? I really think there is something to old guy magic. And I think, like, with with, with Miggy at the end of his career, I, I, I think that there's something there. I think Baez has way more in the tank than any... I, I'm a huge Javi Baez fan. I think he's the type of player, if he gets hot, he can carry that team for a while. And I don't know, I just... I don't see the Central being the most competitive division in baseball. I think they can do something there. The big thing is how long their pitching can hold out. They're, they're really, when Casey Mize and Tyreek Skubal went down last year and meant they were going to miss basically all of this year, it's going to be a test of, of, the, of the pitching coaches. If they can keep this group competitive. And also, do they end up trading Eduardo Rodriguez or not? If they don't trade him, that's a, he's looking very, very good right now. But he might be looking so good that he becomes marketable. So it just depends if they decide to sell. And then on offense, I, I, I'm a broken record on this. They, last year, they had one of the worst offenses in baseball. And they brought in no significant help this year. They're relying on Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green to take ma- major steps forward. And right now, they've done anything but so they were really relying on relying on two kids that may still happen but to this point it hasn't i i think the most optimistic projection we we heard from anybody that we talk with is 78 wins i think brandon brandon day said 78 wins maybe most of us were between 60 and 70 this year there's there's not a lot of faith in this team right now um, vision though yeah even with this division, they're just, to you point, it was the worst offense in baseball last year, and they, they've done very little to improve that. And I, I would love for Miguel Cabrera to have that dead cat bounce Albert Pujols magical final year, but right now it feels more like he's a ghost haunting the Tigers from within the dugout. It, it just, it doesn't feel good to see him in games, and it's unfortunate because he was so fun for so long, but it's, oh man, this is sad. Yeah, it feels like he's like limping to the finish line at this point. Yeah. Being in the clubhouse, I'll tell you this much: he is a sore man, quite often. Yeah. In terms of his legs, he it, it's well, yeah. It's so there were even arguments. People were upset a couple games back that they AJ Hinch didn't pitch hit Miguel Cabrera, and and we're trying to say like when he gives a guy a game off, he gives a guy a game off, and, and Miguel Cabrera at forty probably needs several hours of treatment before every game just to be able to play. And so if he didn't get that treatment, he's not going to come into the game. But people will get upset. Yeah, he, he's basically just on a on a, a tour to get a bunch of awards from teams. I don't know. I haven't heard seen anything that was like super cool yet, but it's it's reminiscent of the old Mariano Rivera like broken bat rocking chair thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'll um, say this: 
you're right. The division itself is very limited. If they had made a move this winter for a couple of quality bats, they probably could have stuck in the race longer. But right now they're 10 and 17. And frankly, as Parcel used to say in football, you are what your record says you are. They're a 10 and 17 club. They're playing like it. And, and the, the one thing that Tigers fans have been kicking around for fun right now is that, that what, what are they, 2-11 against the AL East this year? Is that right? Something like that? I think they're worse than that because they lost three out of four to Baltimore. Yeah, they've been absolutely brutalized by the AL East, but they're above 500 against everybody else. Hey, maybe if they don't play the AL East much anymore, maybe maybe they will turn things around, but I don't know. I, whatever. Brian, I wanted to ask, so Brian, inform the, the audience about the Fan First Network as we're a part of that now. And again, wanted to have you on officially to make things official because this is actually the first time I actually got to talk to you outside of an email form. Yeah. Tell everybody how it works and how we all fit in the picture. And all, yeah. And all the shows you can find on there. Yeah. So first of all, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really, I, I always love talking baseball with other fans. This is the best part of my job is, is doing this sort of stuff and talking to other baseball fans about, about this. Uh, the Fans First Sports Network started by myself and three football podcasters. We were all part of the SB Nation family and SB Nation demonetized 95% of their podcasts earlier this year. And so we decided to do something on our own. And so we... I'm not going to bore you with the whole origin story, but we <laughs> we, we brought over a, a, a large number of former SB Nation podcasts. We currently have, I believe it's around 70 active podcasts on the network across all major sports. We currently have 26 or 27 club-specific MLB-themed podcasts. As said, mine, Mets called Home Run Applesauce. We have daily podcasts every day of the week. We do a show on the minors. We do a show... That's basically a remember some guys show called Unformidable. We have a, a <laughs> one of the only all female hosted podcasts in baseball that covers baseball from sort of a, a social justice angle, is looking at things a little bit differently. My show is just a weekly recap show. We also do a morning show every day called Apple Turnover, which just talks about the the night before or what happened in baseball. Like that, a lot of apple puns. You're gonna find a lot of apple. <laughs> puns. It's just what we do. But in terms of fans, first, our goal is by this time next year to have every major professional sports team and college team in the country with a podcast on our network. We are a completely, uh, we are, we are truly a network in that we're having folks guest on each other's shows, but I'm here, I'm here tonight because this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to build something special. We are, we, we like any other new company, certain things are taking longer than we wanted it to, but that's just the price of doing business. But I love what I'm seeing across the network. You guys are doing great work. I, I try to listen to, one show every couple of weeks and just the, from, from every network on especially on the baseball side i am the mlb manager so that is my my primary charge but i love what you guys are doing i love that you're using Streamyard, which is this great platform that i think we're all getting better at using also but it's this it's this really cool way to to live stream and to do podcasting all that's awesome and so our goal is to just make the best sports podcast we can make and i, I think podcasting is one of those things that my my pitch to people always is one of the most intimate art forms there is because if you're listening in earbuds, you're hearing our voices in your brain and no <laughs> one else is hearing it. It is a very personal thing. And so when we make these shows that people get connections with and it's like talking to a friend. It really is. And so we want to make a network of friends who know about their sports teams and who are thoughtful and intelligent in discussing them 
And I, I know that Detroit sports talk radio probably isn't great, but New York sports talk radio is terrible. So. Oh, wait, 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 hold on a second. You, hold on. Oh, okay, I just got some drops for you. Hold on a second. So you're not enamored by this? Dead, dead. That's just a garbage again. Or, hold on. Or, or this? That's a mate. Say that to anybody. Say that to How? I'm sorry. Chris Russo. I, I don't get it. I don't get I, I I feel like he is the ultimate boomer host. Oh. He's just he's just <laughs> complaining. Well, back on the day. Yep. Shut up, I told you before that my friend's dad found out about him like a year ago. And he's like, hey, I really like that guy's style. This is a seven-year-old. It's like I told you before. I think I think they keep John Smoltz on broadcasts because there are a bunch of old people who are complaining about the game and he says it like they want to hear it. I have actually said in meetings, we have to be the anti-John Smoltz podcast network. Like we we have to have people who like baseball be on our yes. podcast. <laughs> How about that? That's fine yeah, yeah, by yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I got one more question for you. Sure. Yeah. This, this hat, do you have, is there a Pistons a podcast on of the network? I don't think so yet, but if you're interested, just shoot me an email. Oh, I, I, I would be doing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll set that up, set that up afterwards. John shamelessly plugging his Pistons podcast <laughs> in our podcast. <laughs> but yes, so again, we're going to be doing a formal announcement here on tomorrow on Twitter just because, like I said, I wanted to have Brian on and, and introduce everybody to Fan First Network. We've had Sarah Sanchez on, who does a couple of Cubby Blue, and yep, Crystal, yeah, Crystal's fantastic over the, she does a lot of stuff with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. So we already have a lot of really good relationships with the some of those podcasts already. So this is just a, a partnership that continues to grow. And it's been it's been a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, yeah, you're right. Things take time. And I wish we would have done this sooner. But that's on my end because life. Will happen, life and so, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I'm gonna uh, throw this tease out there, too, for, for people. My big goal is for us to do a 24-hour live stream at the trade deadline. So I need everyone's help with this. I want every oh. every every po- I want us to do a 24-hour trade deadline live stream. We'll talk as as things we'll, get closer to that. We'll take oh, 4 yeah. a.m. schedule. Yeah, we're graveyard shift. We're doing a we're doing a draft show too, so we're going to be oh, doing yeah. and so I'm going to probably have you on there for that cuz we do this will be we got a whole Mets minor league team too. We 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 will hook you guys up. We got it. We, we were, unfortunately, the Mets have one of the uh, have one of the few teams you can watch in the Florida State League. We were just a couple weeks ago. The the Lakeland Flying Tigers were taking on the likes of Jet Williams, which was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. We're gonna be. It's supposed to be year six. Wait, wait, year six. We're doing the podcast. I I maybe I feel like the last one that there. We didn't have one was the Alex Fido draft, which was been in 2017. I was watching. Oh, so this would be 20. So 2018. I can't do math. Those are 15, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, six. Yeah. So it'll be six years. Okay. So yeah, this is a, and, but yeah, StreamYard is awesome. So thanks so much, Brian, for joining us this evening. And in terms of finding you on Twitter and plugging your show, plug away. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. Which is, I think, the best thing I've ever done in my whole life is that Twitter handle. That's it's up for my kids. I know my kids out there, but people love that Twitter handle. And uh, Home Run Applesauce is on Twitter at HR Applesauce. But go to homerunapplesauce.com. We have a Patreon also, which uh, folks seem to be enjoying the bonus podcast we're doing over there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I am, uh, I am so excited to get this network fully up and running. And you guys are awesome. So thank you for having me on the show. 
and keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Great awesome, meeting, Brian. Brian. Thank you, Brian. Likewise, yeah, man. Yeah, Brian. If you guys are ever in the New Jersey area, I know the best diners in the world. So hit me up. Nah, we'll right, come, come out to a Somerset game. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right, Brian. Thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, take care. See ya. Thank you. All right. So yeah, Brian is doing some great work over there. They're they're just it's 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 hard running a network. It really is. It's uh-huh. truly hard to run a network. I've as somebody did it with SRD and did 19 shows at one point. And with Woodward too, Woodward was a was brutal. That was, that was challenge. So, at this point, what? Oh, you gonna say something? Oh, another. Oh, I, I yeah, I didn't know if you were gonna wrap it up here, or I, we did get one question that I didn't know if we should talk oh, about yeah. now, or we could talk about on Thursday. It's yeah, what's really... the, oh, what was well, it was my my buddy Rob was asking about the pirates. Oh. I, I said that. Oh one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I felt like it was an interesting discussion point. I, I didn't want to butt in though. If you had something else, but. Basically, he just asked, he said, uh, the Tigers have been bad for, what, seven years? The most fight, Tigers fans are probably a little disappointed that the team seems to be regressing, even from last year, which seems impossible. Another comparable org that seems to have made all the wrong moves over the past seven years is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Can the Motor City Metrics team please explain, aside from the obvious luck, why a team like the Pirates, which was projected to be as bad as the Tigers, is actually doing really well so far? And you compare the minor league talent, maybe in those areas that are doing well, that the Tigers can be doing better. They also throw a ton of breaking balls as a team. Is that a good model? All right. I was going to say, because I just did a, a whole article on the Pirates just now for, for Call of the Pen. Look, I, I think with the Pirates, they especially with the, the Cuban pitcher, Tohan, is it? Rancy Contreras or you talking Jan Oviedo? Oviedo. That guy had a so-so fastball. And the Pirates have changed his pitching design that just essentially throw his slider and his curveball more. And as a result, that sets up his fastball better. He's sequencing a lot better than he did in his time in St. Louis. And so between that and Mitch Keller, who got a cutter, and, and that's been helping him. And he's got six different pitches. I can throw literally the kitchen sink at you. And <laughs> they're doing a better job of developing and Contreras was a steal. I knew that that trade to New York, because we saw him last year, or was it last year in Erie? Or the year before? Contreras. Year before. Yeah, Contreras, was the year before, yeah. right? Yeah. I, and think he, he, I think he was in Erie last year as well. But oh, Was he? Okay. Or not um, Erie, but Altoona. Yeah, Altoona. And he had a really, I mean, his slider was like, back then, even just as good. It was just good as advertised. And I, I, I really think that, the Pirates, I mean, with the Brian Reynolds situation, too, you saw him excited to that deal. Rob, to answer your question, magic. Because, I, I mean, it's just it's how cheap this organization is. The Pirates are notoriously cheap. But but they it seems like they have some development guys that they've done some good development practices. And that, I think, is the big difference so far. Yeah, I, My answer would be just baseball. Because any team can have a good month of the season. And I look at the Pirates, and like they have Andrew McCutcheon hitting third, Connor Joe's off to a really good start. I, I just, I just think they're playing over their head a little bit. And my kind of hot take, I think that the Tigers will finish with a better record than the Pirates. I don't really see this holding up. I don't know what you guys think, but yeah, I just think they've had a, a good start to the season. I think some guys are going to come back down to earth. And yeah, kind of my thought is just baseball. Anyone can have a good month of the season. By the way, I think. You might be right about that because what's going to happen is the Cardinals are going to win 21 games in a row like they did last year or something insane and do what they do. The Cardinals are going to do what they do, which is baseball magic or voodoo or whatever St. Louis does to get that to make that happen. 
But I also think you look at the, the Cubs actually better than they're not, than they advertise too. The Cubs can also, I'm not going to say they're going to win a division, but the Brewers, it's the NL Central is heads and above, head, heads and tails above the AL Central. It's a much more competitive baseball. They got a lot of teams. They got each team, with the exception of the Reds, are watchable. The Reds are not, to me, they're not watchable. The Tigers worse than the Pirates. The Tigers are losing 100, according to Edward Rossman. I look, I, I think the Pirates, a true test for the Pirates starts tomorrow. They play the Rays. And so if they can compete with the Rays, then we'll, we'll see. But honestly, it's too long. If they're, if they're doing this in May, then you can go, okay, there's some consideration. But it's their best start. It's ties one of their best starts. The 1992 team, which was the last team to win the NL East for them. But again, that was that's a different. It's a different era altogether. It's Barry. Uh, was that Barry Bonds' last season? Pittsburgh was. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it to me, there's definitely an element of hey, that's just baseball about it. But there, that that was also there with the 2006 Tigers, right? The 2006 Tigers had no business being as good as they were at the beginning of the year. They, it, it, there's not a direct one-to-one comparison. You do have a, a an old veteran lefty, Rich Hill, with the Pirates, and, and he had it with Jimmy Rogers, but he's 43 years it, old. It, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's more about they're just banking a ton of wins early in the season. You, you, those are with you. They they stick with you. They need to. What's the record right now? The twenty and nine. Yeah. Twenty and nine. If they go sixty and quick math, no, no, sixty and sixty, sixty and seventy, they're well, still going to be an eight. Major, Chris, we're not mathematicians. Yeah. Okay. Sixty and seventy one or whatever. They're, they're still going to be five hundred team. They, they play five hundred baseball the rest of the way. They're a playoff team. But I don't know if they have the talent there. But the one thing that they did. When they tore everything down, got a new GM, Ben Charrington, all that stuff, is is they just went for depth. They just have tons and tons and tons of prospects all over the place. They did it every which way. They did it in the draft instead of taking Marcelo Meyer. They took Henry Davis, saved a bunch of money, went out and got Bubba Chandler and a couple other guys. They just they just threw a whole bunch of bodies at it. And I it wouldn't shock me if that's the way that Scott Harris tries to do things in the future. In terms of just just get as many guys as you can and, and let them filter up to the top, because now you got guys like Jack Sawinski, who I think was a Padres prospect back in the day. I, yeah, I, th- th- they're getting the chance to play, and he's producing. And I don't know. I, I think it was just a, a, a different way to do it. And uh, like, I, I don't think it's real, but if it stays this way, you know, I won't be totally shocked. Sometimes that just happens in baseball. Yeah, especially with the guy, Ronald Cruz goes down in a really bad way and he thought it would stop the momentum and hasn't. He's going to be out for a while. And I, I think that the way that it's handled with Rudolph Castro at short is pretty good. Castro, we saw, again, that's another player we saw down in Altoona. A lot of these Altoona players, it's just, and even with Brian Hayes, who's off to a kind of, he was off, he's off to a rough start after having a really promising start off to his career. He's been slowing down a little bit, but all things considering, you look at, I think one of the signings that kind of goes underrated a little bit is the Carlos Santana one. He's batting 276. It's not the same power he used to have, but he still can walk. The guy is still drawing walks like he always has. And Uper, I, I know that you, Bubble Trammel, that's a nice re- Bubble Trammel reference. Nice there, in our YouTube chat, making a Bubble Trammel reference. Uper, I think that you were talking about I think this is back in the wintertime. Like a guy like Santana may have not been ideal for the Tigers with torque, but it was something. 
correct? Is that Pittsburgh did something with that? One thing you always know about him, he's going to lengthen your lineup. He's not an automatic out. He's going to get on base. He had that year in Kansas City where he started out fast and then he just died at the end. And you had to wonder, is his career winding down? So now he's off to a decent start. It'll be interesting to see what June brings for him. Does he, he was able to keep hitting around 275 with some walks? Or is he going to hit, I think he hit up like a buck 90 for three months for the Royals at one point. So we'll just see where that goes. Yeah. Again, but that's, that's saying as an effort there. So on that note, we went a full hour and a half, which I didn't expect, but it happens. And, and thanks again to Brian Savatori for joining us, Fans First Network. And we'll be tweeting about that tomorrow as part of that. And maybe John will be tweeting out later today. There's going to be a Pistons podcast on there and uh, <laughs> the networking so. then the whole networking thing continues to grow and but yeah thanks so much for listening we'll be back on thursday evening we'll actually you guys will be out there thursday i will not be here thursday because i have softball and softball is going to be running late so i have a 8 30 game so it'll be these guys and by the way i still haven't gotten out in softball two games i went a perfect four yeah four for four <laughs> Something like that. I went only had two at bats in the first well, games. Yeah. The um, walk up home run or just a home run? It was just grand a home slam. run. So I hit a home so I hit a grand slam and it was not like over the fence, but it was like it went deep. It was a deep last. And it went right through the outfielder. And I'm rounding second. And I was gonna stop at second. Guys, okay. I'm not I'm not I'm I'm not a huge guy. I'm a little big, whatever. And Greg, who's on our team, Greg goes. Go for four. Oh. And I look and I look out the outfield and she's just getting into the fence. And I'm like, and my legs are going, and my heart's going, really? <laughs> We're gonna do this? Why? And I'm rounding third and I'm I'm home without a problem. And everybody everybody's giving me a high five. And <laughs> what the J Jay's our manager, Jay's gets me an oxygen mask. I'm like, and I look at my watch because I have an Apple watch. And I look at my heart rate, and it's 171, which is like my target heart, like the max of my heart rate for my age and my weight, or no, it's age and whatever is like just short, like 180 or something like that. And I'm just like, ooh, man. It, I, I literally was just like, I, I asked if I could DH the next inning or sit the bench because I was just like, usually I would play the field, but I was, don't get me wrong, it felt good. But at the same time, I haven't hit a home run like that since I was – Freshman year in high school, maybe. nice. Even I played all the way till the end of high school, but I never. I was always a gap hitter. I could hit in the gap. I could hit a double. I could hit du- double single. Even on skinnier, I could hit a triple. But I never did the, the little league home run like that. I was never like that. But anyway, all right. I can talk about my softball. We're gonna get out of here, and we'll be back on Thursday. Thanks so much for listening, everybody watching us on YouTube. The episode will be dropping that, and the minor league report podcast will be dropping on iTunes as well tomorrow. Check it out. All our great content over at TigersMLReport.com. I'm going to be writing a story on Roberto Campos and three players I liked in the month of April. Chris, we're going to drop our top 25. The updated updated top 25 piece is done. It's just a matter of when we want to put it up. Got to get an image, and that's it. Okay. Well, you should put it up tomorrow, and take a guess. Yeah. And so. Who yeah. number one is. Yeah, take a guess on who number one is. Yeah, exactly. That's it's a Say that to anybody. It's set that step up. I need to play some more Chris Russo drops. No, I don't actually. Never mind. That's no, you don't. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, like this is the uh, this is the worst one right here. That's just.
Uh-oh. All right. So the top 25 will be out tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I'll get I'll get an image, Chris. We'll get that going. And yeah, the three players I like in the month of May. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Month of April. All right. End it. We're out of here. Right, Thanks it. so much. See ya. See you. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.